Well, my title tonight is The Universal Magnet. It's contained there in the second verse of the hymn that we've just sung. Lift my earthbound longings, fix them, Lord, above. Draw me with the magnet of thy mighty love. The universal magnet. That doesn't mean that everybody will be saved. But it means that the love, the constraining, drawing love of the Lord Jesus Christ will draw from the four corners of the earth, from every race, from every age, from every era. What is a magnet? It's something that when I was a child I found quite mysterious. How? How could it pull? How could it have that constraining power? It's mysterious. You can't see how it works, yes? The physicists will tell us about the fields of magnetism and all the such things. But what about Christ? Described in our hymn as a magnet with a strange drawing power. Well, when the leader of a great movement, a religious movement, dies, you would expect that movement very quickly to peter out. Usually the death of the leader, whichever man or woman that is, a religious movement, and very quickly their power, their strength will ebb, and then it might even decline altogether. But not the Lord Jesus. When he died upon the cross, it rather accelerated and expanded his gracious influence across the earth. By the end of the first century, the gospel of Christ had gone into many continents, many countries, thousands of churches had been established, and it spread, as we say, like wildfire. That's really slightly contradictory because the persecution started very rapidly. There was quickly legislation. The rulers did everything they possibly could to stamp it out. We don't want any of this. This will take away our power. There was a hatred of the Jews and especially Anybody that named the people of the way, the people that followed Christ. But such is the power of God. No one can impede the kindness, the love, the grace, the mercy of God. Nobody can stop it. It's an irresistible force, a universal magnet. No kings. No laws, no culture can constrain this power, which is the love of Christ. I want to do something slightly unusual and take two verses tonight, but they're both in John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 6, if you'd like to turn to this verse, a well-known verse. John 6 and verse 44, you'll see quickly the overlap that there is in our two texts 
this evening. John 6 and 44. No man can come to me except unless the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. If you'd like to turn back to our second reading, John 12 and verse 32, again another well-known text. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The word men is in italics. It means that the Lord Jesus Christ would draw all that the Father had given to the Son, all of them, not one will be lost, every single one of them will be drawn by this constraining, magnetic power which the Lord Jesus has. But he only has it if he's lifted up. And we shall explain what that means tonight. I put before you that there are three secrets. They're not really secrets. But for the disciples, it was as though there was a secret in the way that Christ was going to die on the cross. Our first heading, the secret of the cross. In one sense, it's a secret because the disciples just carried on almost oblivious to the fact that Christ must die. And he must be lifted up, telling us the method through which he would die. So in one sense, this is a secret kept from the disciples, kept from some of his enemies. And yet there, through the prophecy, we thought about several prophecies this morning, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, Deuteronomy 21, 23, repeated in Galatians 3 and 13. And then those words that we read this morning, just tell me that these are not about the cross. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Prophecy after prophecy just flowing out of the Old Testament. No, this is no secret. And yet while Christ was alive, maybe to keep a restraining element to those who would take him. He kept it from their eyes. And in verse 23 of John 12, he says, The hour is come. He knows everything about his death. He knows the time. He knows the method. Let me give you one more thing which the Lord Jesus says, which is a parallel to these two texts. John 3, you'll know the verse very well. John 3 
and 14. John's Gospel 3 and 14. Again, the words of the Lord Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The secret, it's not really a secret. And yet, they wanted it not to happen. Simon Peter didn't really understand. Is there somebody here tonight and you don't really understand the significance of the cross? You don't understand that Christ must die? You don't understand that just as the children of Israel were dying from snake bites, dying from the worst that Satan could throw against them, serpents, you know the figure of a serpent, the devil. There they were in the wilderness and God provides a remedy, the only remedy. The brass wound around a pole and all that they needed to do was to look, look and live. Look and live, look to the cross and live. If or rather when we might say, I am lifted up from earth. Lifted up. That wasn't really a code. They knew what it meant. It meant to be crucified. The Romans had kept this as their proprietary means of the most cruel death that possibly was known. And yet it wasn't planned by them. The Godhead had prescribed it. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Let's just think of this term, lifted up. Five thoughts about this word. The Lord Jesus said, If, when I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. What does it mean to be lifted up? Well, it means morally. Christ was in every respect above the earth. He needed to be lifted up so that men and women and children could examine his life and see and have even his enemies say, I find in this man no wrong. Morally, his life was lifted up and it was pure, spotless. You couldn't find a blemish, not a thought. Even in the hours of his death, he thinks of his mother and keeps the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father. It was a perfect life. And so morally, Christ is lifted up for the whole world, for all time, to see him above you and I. Morally, he was lifted up. But he needed to be lifted up spiritually. You see, we're so earthbound. We think just on the horizontal. 
We need to think vertically. We need to lift up our eyes just as the children of Israel had to look and live. So spiritually the call of the gospel is look, look up. Look up to heaven. Look away from earth. Look to your only hope. We have no hope. We are hopeless, helpless without Christ. That's what it says to us in the letters that Paul wrote. Without God, without hope. And so spiritually, Christ being lifted up means that our eyes, our gaze must be upward, not down. We so easily look down and we get cast down. We get despondent. We get downcast. Christ is lifted up because he wants to lift us up. And to do that, we need our eyes to be heavenward, to be looking unto the cross, looking unto our only hope. And then it's directional. There's a sense in which we need to have our eyes lifted up so that we can rise from the depths of sin. This world takes us down, down, down. Addiction. It gets worse, not better. I have a friend in London who's a heroin addict. I dread to take his calls again and again. I've been clean for two days now. It's so good. Addiction takes us down. Alcohol, lust, all the sins of the heart and the flesh take us down and Christ is lifted up so that we can be lifted up and praise God that every life that comes to Christ is lifted up from the gutter, lifted up from death, lifted up from sin and sorrow and sadness to the place that God intended for us. He wanted us to be higher beings, not lower beings. And so he would have us lifted up, just as he was lifted up. But there's a fourth sense. The Lord Jesus stood looking unto Jerusalem and he knew his eyes were sent because he knew what would happen at that cross. He knew there would be a sign and that sign would say, this is the King of the Jews. And he was. They wanted to take the sign down to say, he said, but Pilate rightly said, no, what I have written, I have written, because in a sense he was the king of his people, not just the Jewish people, but his beloved people. He was the king, he is the king, and so he have to be lifted up he is now upon a throne seated at the right hand of his father on high. And so as a king, I know it was mockingly 
He was crowned with a crown of thorns and given a name. But what men and women did mockingly, Christ did in truth. And he was above the people. And one day he will be above you and me in judgment and in justice and in fairness and in equity. And on that great day of judgment, nobody will say, but I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't think that. I didn't do that. Because he reads every heart. Because he is the sovereign ruler of the skies. And he is so wise, too wise to be unkind, too wise to get anything wrong. And so he was lifted up as the sovereign, the rightful sovereign. But there's a final sense in which I think he means this, if I, when I be lifted up from the earth, You see, there's a huge gulf between earth and heaven. An earth that we need the greatest ladder to go up. A ladder which has to be provided to us. And that ladder is the cross. That ladder is the only way that we can get upward and it's put just so far above the earth, not so far that it's inaccessible, not so far that it can't be grasped and it can't be understood, but it's there on a hill. But it's the hill difficulty for many. They won't go to the cross. They won't go and take their burden and lay it there. But Christ as mediator, he puts himself just above the earth so that he can be the go-between, earth and heaven, the only go-between, the one who is accessible to sinful men and women and children, the one mediator between God and man, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Does he not mean that? And when I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Let's think about that word, draw. It's a very interesting word. Mentioned in John 6, 44. And then in our other verse, John 12, 32. But just two other examples. John uses it. It's used of drawing a sword out of its sheath, taking it from one place to another. It's used as well of a net that draws like the gospel. The sword is drawn out and it pierces the heart once it's drawn and the net, it draws and drags people to the Saviour, draw. When I be lifted up from the earth, will draw. It doesn't say force. 
It doesn't say control. It doesn't say against our will. It doesn't say manipulation. There's no altar call inferred. There's no soft music to make us feel all warm and cuddly inside. The Lord Jesus says, no, I will draw. It's a gentle word. Draw. Draw from one place to another. Draw by a constraining love. It's told us that music draws the ear, that love draws the heart, and that pleasure draws the mind. But Christ alone can draw the soul. I think these words tell us something else. They tell us that we're at a great distance from God, just as the prodigal was. And we need to be drawn to the cross, to the Saviour. It tells us that I'm powerless. I've got no power of my own. I can't pull on the cord. No, I need to be drawn. Drawn by the Saviour. There's no natural power. They say opposites attract. But not in this case. I'm unholy. And God is holy. I'm not drawn to him, I'm drawn away from him. And so the Saviour needs to draw me. I'm at a distance, I'm powerless, and I'm unattracted to him. Isaiah said this. He said, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Did you notice in our reading tonight, it jumped out at me. The Lord Jesus says, verse 36, he departed. He hid himself from them. What a horrible thing. Our only hope hides himself and departs. Will he hide himself from you? Why did he hide himself? The answer's there in verse 37. Though he had done so many miracles, he'd healed lepers, he'd given the blind sight, he'd made the lame to walk, he'd done a thousand miracles, and yet they didn't believe. What stops you from believing tonight? What is it that keeps you back? The Lord won't draw you against your will. This is a strange thing. My will is against God. He will never draw somebody that says, No, I won't have that man to rule over me. These people that saw evidently this was the Son of God. Who can do miracles like him? Nobody teaches like him. Nobody does the things that he does. But they wouldn't believe. And so he withdraws. And he hides himself. I don't know how long he might hide himself from you. If you won't believe. But he might. I hope not. 
he hid himself. Let me tell you about the love of the Saviour. Let's go back to our two texts. I will draw. Oh, this is a lovely word. As a preacher, you want to try to convey the love of Christ. We can use words, but it's more than words. It's like a magnet. I can't explain it. It's a love that's been demonstrated. It says in the prophet Isaiah, I drew them with cords of a man and with bands of love. Like an elastic band, Christ is drawing us. But some of us dig our heels in. No, no. I won't have that life. I won't have heaven. I won't have the forgiveness of sin. I will make an excuse. I'll put up a barrier. No, no, no. Why would you do that? Christ has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for his people. It's a demonstrated love. It might be a gentle love, but don't underestimate, this is a strong love. This is the strongest love there has ever been. That love draws. It draws the hardest. It draws the most rebellious. It draws those who are most resistant. Oh, it might take time. There might be those that resist Christ's words and the Holy Spirit week after week after week. But one day, you will find that love to be irresistible. William Carey, when he went to India, seven years not one convert. But then there was one, Krishna Pal, and then another, and another, and another, and the floodgates opened. Irresistible love. Why wouldn't they have a Savior who is altogether lovely? Why would they have a thousand gods of Hinduism, of Buddha, that would have them sacrifice their children compared to the irresistible love of Christ. Do you know there's something about this love as well? It's a silencing love. Do you know when you sense his love for you personally? When you see the mocking and the spitting and the scourging and the bruising, that the crowd inflicted upon Christ, and you think, that was me? I was involved in that. I would have joined in. And through my life, I've done worse. And when we see that he opened not his mouth, before his tormentors and shearers and slaughterers, he was dumb.
Would it not silence every argument against him? Would it not draw you with the cords of love? And this love, this magnetic, drawing, universal love of Christ, it's an everlasting love. That magnetic force will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And for many, you'll say, enough! I don't want my old life. I don't want to live that way anymore. Why would I not go to the arms of love, the one outstretched? upon Calvary. And when you realize that he didn't love me because I was lovely, I was unattractive to him, yet he loved me. And he loves enemies. And he loves those that hate. And he loves those that won't come. But eventually, they hear his voice, his voice of tenderness and love. But I have one more point tonight, the third secret, the secret of the cross, the secret drawing power. But then there is a secret for the Lord's people. Turn back to John 6. I want to show you something which isn't really a secret, and yet they didn't understand it. It hadn't really sunk in. The secret the Lord Jesus had revealed so very clearly. Look at verse 39. John chapter 6. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, his people, his sheep, I should lose nothing. But, here's the point, should raise it up again at the last day. Raise it up again. Verse 40. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And a fourth reference in the same chapter. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which buys us salvation, and I will raise him up at the last day. These are astonishing words. There are those who haven't yet risen from the death of sin. Have you been raised up to newness of life, to eternal life? That's what's promised in verse 54, John 6. Whoso eateth my flesh believes, has their faith in Christ and his perfect life, and has faith in the blood of Christ to cleanse and to wash. They will have eternal life. And I will raise him or her up at the last day. You see what Christ is saying four times. New life, eternal life, life everlasting, life more abundant. What a Saviour. 
to draw men, women, and children so resistant and yet his irresistible magnetic power draws us some quickly some slowly but certainly he will draw every one of his children to himself and not one will be lost but if you turn away if you won't believe wouldn't this verse be for us tonight he did hide himself from him and departed may that never be true of you that Christ departs from you and says depart from me I never knew you May he raise up all who put their faith and trust in him tonight to newness of life. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the wonders of salvation, that when the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up upon the cross, he would and he has and he will draw men and women to himself, how astonishing that the death of one man should be what draws so many and us to himself. Lord, may it draw even tonight by its irresistible power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.